This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Uh, it's awesome to be sitting down and recording this yarn for you guys today. I am super, super excited. I think we're going to get into some, yeah, exciting, interesting topics. Definitely all kind of inspired by what's been happening as of late for me. Um, and it's just, yeah, brought up some really, really interesting conversations. Um, just a heads up, I'm actually recording in a new spot just for today. I'm on campus. Um, so just in case you didn't know, I'm also a student as well. So I study here at Vic in Pohonike. And um, yeah, so we're just trying out a new recording location. Hopefully it all works out, but apologies in advance if it doesn't. Um, but let's get cracking on to this episode. So before we properly get into it, into it today, I actually want to rewind time and go back to last week's our last episode um, when we were kind of unpacking the wellness trends and starting to decolonize the beauty wellness world and I actually this is not just for last episode it's for all the episodes I've ever recorded recorded sorry because I had no idea that I was saying it incorrectly um, but my wonderful friend she pointed out to me that I wasn't um, pronouncing uh, Pakeha right so before I used to say Pakeha I'm like Pakeha Pakeha I just kept saying that but actually it's Pakeha um, so unlearning, uh, coming forward with my mistake and I uh, will forever be grateful uh, to my friend who pointed that out to me. Um, that was just honestly so kind of her because there was no shame, all love um, and now I know. So now I know better, I will do better. Um, but cracking on into this week's episodes so all of the things that I'm going to talk about um, are things that have kind of been happening since I've last recorded and um, just yeah a really cool corridor that I've been having with my friends and thought it'd be uh, worthwhile putting it out here on the show as well and the first thing that I wanted to talk about was actually my Ramadan reflections so last week Tuesday it was Eid um, so Eid Mubarak to my fellow Muslim brothers and sisters who tune in to Headscarves and Gideons um, and if you're sitting there and you're like what is Ramadan what is Eid so Ramadan is the month of fasting and um, so you during between sun rise and sunset so basically during the day um, you abstain from food and water um, but it's not just about like um, not having not giving into those physical um, needs it's more of a spiritual detox right so it's like refrain from swearing and backbiting and all of that kind of stuff so yeah, it's a really special month for Muslims. And then at the end of Ramadan, it's Eid al-Fitr. And that's when yeah, you celebrate the end of Ramadan and you get together with family and friends. And I've always kind of described it as a Muslim Christmas to, if, to liken it to something. So, you know, people understand a bit more. Um, but yeah, last week, last week, Tuesday was Eid and... Um, it came up really quickly, actually. I feel like this whole month has gone by so quickly. But, um, yeah, I've been sitting down with my thoughts since Ramadan has passed. And a couple of things um, have come up that I, I really want to talk about. Um, first things first, the, the sheer amount of people who just knew what Ramadan was about. I mean, I feel like I've been fasting for... 14 15 years now so yeah a decent amount of time and as time has gone on 
I've noticed that more and more people know about Ramadan, but this was the first time this year that I actually didn't have to fully explain it to anyone. Like, everyone that I spoke about it with or, you know, mentioned it, like, oh, I'm fasting today, or, yep, it's Ramadan at the moment, everyone had some kind of idea about it, which was so, so, so beautiful. Like, because usually it's been... I've encountered people who just had no idea about it, which is fair enough. I mean, if you don't have any Muslim people in your life, and, I mean, it's I can see why you wouldn't know about Ramadan, but for me to, like, not have to explain it to anyone, so mind-blowing, and it just goes to show that, um, you know, there's more awareness and people are engaging more and understanding more and I think that's honestly a beautiful thing because then it just gets normalized um which is exactly what we want like there's it's not going to be seen as a just a weird thing that Muslims do or um having to explain the significance of it um or even like just even practical things right like asking for leave to for Eid um, just makes a, a huge deal I think if more people know about it and it's just like integrated and weaved into the normal way of living and it's just part of part of Aotearoa because you know we do have a really I mean I think that on the consensus it's like one or two percent but there's a significant amount of Muslims in Aotearoa and so to have it normalised into our life, I think, says a lot about this acceptance and reducing this sense of othering. So that was honestly a really, really beautiful thing. And another thing that I um, that came from my Ramadan reflections, and this is what I really, really want to talk about on the um, show today, is and this hit me particularly on Eid day when, because so for Eid the thing that you do on Eid first thing in the morning is everyone in the family gets together um, you don your your finest and you go to the mosque and you pray together as a community and after the prayer um, there is a beautiful I would liken it to a sermon like a beautiful speech that kind of Reflects the the co-papa of Ramadan and and why we just fast and what did what did this last month mean to me, and the beautiful thing about Eid prayer is that basically everyone is there, the whole community is out there, and you visually get to see the diversity of this community, and you just see like a beautiful range of just humans, just humans trying to do their best showing up for what's really really important to them um how people interact with each other like it's a celebrated moment and it just brought up all of these feelings for me I think you know in my adult years if you compare it to when I was living back home um I haven't been going to the mosque as much um and, you know, I can use the excuses of, well, life is busy and adulting is really hard and, and takes up a lot of time and it's not as easy for me to get to the mosque as it was before. Um, and I totally acknowledge, for me personally, these are just excuses for now in the sense that, I mean they're all valid and yes maybe I don't have as much time as I was when I was younger but if I wanted to go to the mosque I would make it work somehow um and at the moment I'm just not making it work but when I was sitting there I'm just kind of absorbing the atmosphere from the aid prayer it just made me realize actually how important my Islam is to me and just how wonderful it is just actually praying together as a community is and like what that signifies to me and it was such a special special moment and and 
all of the colours and all of the nuances and the full diversity is just all brought together on Eid Prayer Day because everyone is at the mosque and it just made me realise how in the Western world when we talk about Islam or when we talk about Islamophobia it's always discussed in this binary of is Islam peaceful or not? Is it just or not? Does it oppress or free? Um, And I feel like this binary is just so strict and so unnecessary and like when we talk about Islam or even when we unpack Islamophobia we're always talking about it from this binary it's just so restrictive it it is awfully restrictive and kind of strips Islam of this like wonderfully complex nature that lies behind it just like any other religion just like any other community and that's because of the mere fact that we're just people but there is this intense pressure because of this binary when we're discussing Islam and I think that for myself I had kind of internalized this binary a bit and having not spending that much time at the mosque as I normally would um, or compared to when I was younger I think I like affirmed this binary for myself and I wasn't even aware of that until I was kind of going to the Eid prayer this year kind of stirred something up for me I was like something and I think it it stirred up those feelings and it's actually taken me a couple of days to kind of sit with it and and understand why it brought up those feelings for me and then now that and as I was kind of scripting for the show I was like actually I think I think this is why it brought up feelings for me because I'd internalized this binary that the west kind of imposes on Islam and you know I'm not saying that it comes with um ill intent like even when we're having corridor around, well, how do we dismantle Islamophobia? How do we um, be better allies? And that comes with a whole lot of good intention. But I've just realised, like, no matter the intention of the conversation, like, when we do have conversations around um, Islam, it's always in this binary of peaceful or not, just or unjust uh, like freedom or oppression like it's always coming in in these binaries and you know that's not fair because is it's like asking yourself well is islam a peaceful religion yes does it have the potential to not be a peaceful religion yes but that like comes with context and that comes with nuance and that comes with so I don't want to live in this binary anymore and I want to engage with conversation if it's in relation to Islam or Islamophobia um, free from that binary that is put on um, Muslims um, because it's a lot it actually is a lot because I now that I'm really really talking about this um as a Muslim woman, I definitely feel this pressure to be um, to be good and to always. I mean, not that I I'm not oppressed at all by wearing the hijab, but it, when there is this idea that you are, you can't complain about anything, even if you're just trying to like honor your experience and you just want to be real there there is none of that because there's this always this constant pressure to be perfect and I just don't want to do that anymore and I don't think we as a society should be doing that anymore as well and that binary is actually so dangerous and it kind of reminds me of something else that I was talking about um with my friend recently and that is uh, there's this book on my bookshelf and I, I bought it out of curiosity it was written by this Somali woman and her name is Ayan Hirsi and like growing up 
you know, we were told that she is not a good woman, not a good woman, and kind of like, you know, kind of had her Somali title taken away from her because she is just not a great woman. So kind of growing up, I was like, okay, not great, not great. And then I kind of stumbled across her book as an adult. And, um, you know, she's gone through a lot. She's gone through a lot and a lot of not great things have happened to her. And so in her experience, I completely understand why she's like, you know what? This religion thing is not for me. Some of the Somali values or cultural um, experience that's mm, also not for me and I completely understand that if considering everything that she's gone through but I think what I struggle with is her I'm kind of again living in this binary because her experiences were a particular way she's kind of painted Islam she's painted the Somali culture in the same brushstroke brush stroke and in the book she um she seeks asylum in somewhere in Europe to be honest I cannot remember the country and you know because of her experience in kind of painting Islam and Somalia and kind of the same brush stroke and in the west there is there is this um Islamophobia that's kind of running rampant and then to have someone who is a Muslim and who is from Somalia kind of affirming this you know they took what she said and ran away with it and I think again like her experience is or her experience was processed and understood in this binary and because her experience was like well Islam is oppressive and it's not just and kind of affirmed everything and was seen as a justification for Islamophobia and that's not right and I've noticed that um, as I was saying those who have that privilege they that comes also with the fact that no one's kind of living in that binary you can be whatever you want to be and just because you're a certain way it doesn't actually say anything definitive but I think as soon as you uh you come you have an identity that actually isn't part of the majority or part of those who are privileged um you are kind of reduced to this this binary this single statistic the single story and there's no room to just be and I think I've and this goes kind of beyond reducing those to a stereotype or statistic like when even if you have good intentions and you are trying to learn how to be a better ally and learn how to you know dismantle Islamophobia if you're not um aware of this like binary that we put on Islam then you're never really going to get to the place where you're having those productive conversations about it and so yeah that was a huge reflection um when I was kind of unpacking my Ramadan experience and I just don't want to live in that binary anymore and I've, I've got the ick I've got the ick from the binary and if I am engaging in any kind of corridor and I've noticed that it affirms that I will definitely say something about it because we're not heading to a productive place when we're talking about Islam or Islamophobia so those are my Ramadan reflections and uh, the next thing that I want to talk about um, it's actually really really personal um, and really personal in the sense that it's still really fresh and ongoing and you know I'm still learning to understand it and accept it but um you know I think being a first generation migrant kid is always going to be hard you know there's going to be a gap of under like of not misunderstanding but there's just always going to be a gap between you and your parents and I'm just kind of talking about my personal experience now not I mean I'm sure there are 
other migrant kids out there listening to this and can probably relate but I'm now just talking specifically about my experience alone and what I've noticed is that there are just yeah some things when it comes to my parents I think they will never understand Um, and there will be some things that I just truly will not understand about them and you know recently we've been having some really hard conversations um, in the mental health space and uh, I won't get into details because it's not just like my thing to share Um, there are other people involved and so for their protection I won't go into the details but you know we've just been having a lot of conversations in the mental health space and you know that gap that I was mentioning before I most definitely feel that so sharply when we're having these conversations and it just just made me have a really good insight into expectations and you know the expectations that we place on people to change and And it's actually, it's really hard to talk about because there's actually quite a few layers going on. And I think as a society, like when the way that we talk about differences when it comes to our parents, especially in the Western sense, especially in the Western sense, is as soon as this, like, lack of understanding or this gap is perceived as being toxic the advice of just like cutting those said toxic people out um is just said so easily um and said so readily and like for me that's hard because I love my parents so much and you know they also sacrificed so much for me and I know that there's this idea of well you live life for yourself and I think for me as a migrant kid there's always going to be that tension of well you live life as a family unit and as we not I kind of having tension with that idea of well actually this is like your life to live and just because your parents have you know given you life and given you an opportunity it doesn't mean that they also own your life as well and so you know kind of forever living in this tension and also kind of living with the fact that you know there there's that gap and no matter how hard you or they try that gap may always be there and also living off the fact that we love each other so dearly and also living with the fact that the you know I'm not questioning the amount of love um, but you know how people love you it might not always be in the way that you like want it to be or need it to be and you know is that wrong or right or is that unhealthy or not or is that um relationship breaking or making or not like all of these questions around it I don't have the answers to all of these questions but you know the expectations that we place on people plays a huge role in how we interact or process a certain conversation or a certain experience and I think for me personally I had super high expectations and kind of expecting that gap to disappear or to just melt away and because I had that expectation um, my pool of patience was and when I realized that that wasn't going to happen my pool of patience was just so dry and it made me you know show up in a way that I'm not particularly proud of and 
and I think this applies to everyone and it can apply to any kind of conversation not just about mental health or not just about race or not just about um, values or societal issues it literally can be about anything but and the expectations that we place on people and how we expect them to change you you need to be so real with yourself with where that expectation is coming from what does that expectation look like what happens when that expectation isn't met and you know the reason why I bring this up is that I actually there's some things as I said before there's just some things that my parents will never understand and it's you know for all sorts of different reasons but a lot of reasons are actually out of their control and a lot of reasons uh they're not ready for it and a lot of reasons uh just doesn't line up with their lived experience and these steps to do all of these things are actually massive like to me it just seems like a really small like shuffle but to them it's like a huge leap and you don't just go into leaping they need breadcrumbs and they need baby steps and for relationships that are really important to you I think it's so important to kind of reevaluate those expectations and figure out a way that kind of looks after both parties involved. And the reason why I want to discuss this specifically on the podcast is, well, the whole podcast is about, well, how do we have these conversations and especially those difficult ones and sometimes those difficult conversations are had with strangers and if that's the case like it's well for me personally I've noticed that my expectations on strangers are way higher and because there isn't that like relationship there's no investment of me to expect less and that sounds really harsh but I think I'm like also on the show it's about being very honest and I think that's me being very honest and so when in public someone says something really horrible towards me because of how I look you know my expectation is usually some variation of swear words but also you should know better it's 2022 Aotearoa is so diverse there is a lot of conversation happening like keep up with the times my expectation is so high and no I'm really unwilling to to change that but sometimes those words or those ideas are also held by people who are much closer to you and you can start further out like colleagues or like classmates but then you kind of work yourself closer and work yourself closer and closer if you think about all these relationships as rings around you and the closer you work in through the rings you're getting to to loved ones you're getting to family you're getting to friends partners and those same expectations might be there but then because of that relationship um there's that investment and that motivation to kind of adjust those expectations in a way that honors you both because I think if I were to not adjust my expectations and expect my parents to change just like that well that's not going to happen and that's actually just going to lead me to even more frustration and heartbreak and you know it could lead to a really unhealthy place and I don't I don't want that for us and so even though it's hard I actually need to change my expectations and 
it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But actually, I think changing expectations are vital to not only me having a better relationship with them, um, but also increasing the chances of them changing and, and coming around to things because that, like the, the things that I expect from them, it's so far removed from their lived experience. It's so far removed from how they understand the world. And I think it's actually really it's a lot like it really is a lot for them and you know there may be conversations with people in your life um, and I'm just kind of referring to the close rings around you now not the ones who are strangers um, the ones who leave horrible comments and stuff articles and the in the horrible people who will just yell things on the street to you. I'm talking about that close circle of people who are in your life and that you love and that you adore. And, you know, sometimes being an ally or sometimes holding that space for your family to have these difficult conversations kind of comes with changing the expectations that you have because you know it's a huge step and changing expectations makes room for those small steps to happen and you know if it's the small steps journey to where you need to be then I'll take that and we just have to take that don't we because they are our close ring um and I think yeah the reason why that I really want to talk about on the show is um some of y'all have kind of shared your frustrations and you know expressed your concern with the loved ones and having these kind of conversations with them and I think expectations is like a huge puzzle piece when we're kind of approaching this difficult corridor with our loved ones um and it's a lot of patience and a lot of grace and it's not easy but um it's a gift that I'm giving to myself and to my parents as well by changing my expectations um so there you go The next thing that I want to talk about and kind of unpack um, is actually really interesting and apologies in advance because we're kind of going to go to many places and there will be many tangents but I promise you I will bring it back all together at the end or well I hope but um, this the stuff that I'm going to get into in a second, um, it was all brought about um, this feminist group that I'm part of. And one of the um, Wahina in the group, she asked this question of, well, you know, what kind of um, archetype of man, like really, man or men, really grinds your gears? And you know, I had I had a list. <laughs> I had a list, and there was a particular one on the list that I really want to discuss um, on the show today. And for me, this particular type of um, this archetype of a man that really grinds my gears is the intellectually quote unquote woke man and the reason why these these type of men like really grind my gears and you I mean I'm not one to generalize but the question was framed in such a way and I've had so many so many experiences and interactions with this kind of man who like loosely has these they loosely all kind of share um, these traits have come up I'm like this has to be a thing and so it's usually yeah in intellectually um, 
intellectual men who are apparently quite clever and who consider themselves to be very progressive, you know, like identifies themselves as anti-racist or identifies as a feminist. And um, are just generally like socially on point, right? <laughs> and then I have interactions with folks like this. Then it kind of transpires that, you know, their wokeness only extends so far and someone like me is always always excluded in their in their activism or quote-unquote activism and you can you can just tell that you know it's very white-centered their their activism or their so so called wokeness whatever whatever sources have informed that uh, um, sources that are centered in whiteness centered in the patriarchy, and you're probably just thinking, okay, Amal, like give me give me a story like and i i will I'll give you a couple of stories to like help you contextualize what is like what I'm actually trying to say so um this one was from a couple of years ago and I was talking about um just like who do we as a society who do we consider to be to be beautiful and I was discussing it with um an archetype of this kind of man so really woke quite intelligent um and was not expecting the following comments to be said and you know we were kind of talking about as part of the conversation around well as a society who do we consider like beautiful um and I think actually this conversation stemmed from the fact that we were just talking about just dating in general I think so it was in the context of dating and preferences and so you know loosely that conversations around those topics and um and then he said I cannot remember word for word what this person said um but they said something along the lines of well I I think that all women are beautiful regardless of size it was a little, God bless, it was a little bit cringe now that I'm saying this out loud, like something along the lines of like a number doesn't matter to me, I don't care what the scale says, like all women are just beautiful, beautiful and are worth getting to know for their, beyond just the looks and beyond just the surface level beauty, Um, which yes, okay, I also think the same thing. And then they went on to say in the same breath, um, well, you know, but there's particular kind of, I think I was so, and you, I think actually just recounting this, I think in the moment my jaw just kind of dropped when they said this. And they're like, you know, well, you know, every woman is beautiful regardless of the size. Um, and it's not even the size that I think is a problem it's the proportions and I was like well what do you mean by that like please elaborate because I was so confused and then he was like well you know I just the proportions of like you know black girls are just really different and that has nothing to do with size it's just the proportions and I think it's a bit funny to be honest with you and I was like what (laughs) what (laughs) and then another story there would always be this um guy in my class who would like would um stand up for others and kind of call other people forward if they said something that was so not on 
um, whether it was like racist or sexist or ageist, whatever, or the ists, he, this, this fella would have something to say. And um, I just consistently noticed that whenever it was anything kind of directed towards me, never a sound or a word or a peep but would always have something to say when it was like the other woman in class who was dealing with something or someone had said something that was problematic um and they would jump swoop in no worries and you know, I have countless other stories, and my mind's kind of gone blank at the moment, to be honest. But like all of these interactions, have just kind of made me feel like, like clearly this archetype of man literally sees no value in black women. Sees like we're literally invisible. Our struggles are invisible. We are invisible. Um, not worth commenting on or convert. Um, advocating for and I think you yeah you see this a lot and I've spoken about it with um, some of my friends not all of my friends who are are people of colour and they've kind of noticed that you know threads or different variations of this archetype of man in their life as well and I'm not saying that it's all coming from this archetype of man but I've noticed that it's everywhere um, in society this this sense of yep I am quite active or I do consider myself quite woke but it really it never extends to the black community it really doesn't extend to the black community and I've noticed this from all types of men, men who are also people of colour. It's like this internalised racism. And then from the white men that I've noticed this from, it's this not addressing their privilege and not kind of understanding that, you know, even if they do mean well, all of their activism has been informed with a very, very white lens. Um, and that's very problematic Um, and I think I've spoken about this before on the show when I was talking about intersectionality but it's really really important um, really important that we make sure that with our activism it's not centred in this whiteness because that's only ever going to serve a particular community. It's not going to serve everyone. And the same communities and same groups of people will always be left behind if we centre our um, activism and whiteness. And um, it was so funny how I've come to this thought and it all came from that one question of like, what type of man like usually grinds your gears what does he look like what does he do um and for me it's definitely that and I'm not saying that I don't notice that in um women because I definitely have but I think it's just because it's coming from a man as a woman it just irritates me even more because not only is it like benefiting from the system of racism but it's also benefiting of the system where men rule and it just goes to show that it's still very much alive in 2022 I think people tend to think that sexism is not a thing anymore because you know we have we there's so many boxes ticked of things that women can do but actually like we're still programmed to have to be centered around men which is really frustrating and so to have this double whammy kind of represented in this this arc, this archetype um it's even more damaging 
and it just kind of affirms that if someone can be labelled as intelligent by society and then still hold these views, it just kind of validates it even more because it's coming from a man's mouth. And that is absolutely BS. <laughs> and so absolutely that is the archetype of man that um, annoys me because we should be doing better and we should be um, centering our activism not that's not um, anchored in whiteness and not anchored in the patriarchy basically and that kind of leads me to the last thing that I want to talk about for this episode and that is the patriarchy but from an ethnic point of view and the reason why I want to talk about this is um, recently I was talking um, I was having dinner with a couple of my friends who also happen to be um, like, you know, people of colour and then we were kind of joking around but maybe also not <laughs> that um, brown girls are better than brown boys and kind of unpacking this double standard that exists and I think because, and, and like the reason why I want to talk about this on the show is when we do talk about the patriarchy um, or women's rights, well, in Aotearoa specifically, it's always like kind of assumed that it's um, the average Kiwi. And, you know, when you think about the average Kiwi in your head, it's usually, you know, a white person. And so I want to highlight that the patriarchy comes in many forms and exists and shows up in different ways in different cultures and so we were kind of joking that like brown girls are better than brown boys because you know there's a lot of double standards that just made us um more resilient and just like and just generally more switched on in life um, compared to brown boys who just kind of cruise through life because life is this comfort it's a cushion you know things are already done for you no one expects you to do anything and you know I just kind of want to highlight that that again because you have these multiple identities they interact with each other and you cannot isolate isolate sorry just one and for me the way that culture interacts with gender this is how it shows up and how it shows up for me is just the double standards right of expecting less of the men in the family the men in the family getting away with more the men in the family having um leniency um the men not having to carry the burden of the family's name so um and this is something that I always was told growing up and I noticed that my brothers never ever got told this and that was well be careful with how you conduct yourself in public because people are always watching and you carry the family name and if you do something that damages the family name then you people will make people will say things not just only about you but the whole family as well and you know you know we didn't raise you in xyz way so please be careful how you behave and my brothers never ever got this conversation and in the community you would hear like really horrible stories of girls who girls and women who were and I'm not saying that the things that they were accused of actually happened or not um, it could be like a classic bend it like Beckham moment um, where she was just laughing with one of her girlfriends who happened to have short hair and her auntie and uncle drive past 
And then when she gets home from hanging out with her friend, her parents are like, how dare you ruin our family name? You were caught kissing a boy downtown and like in the city. How dare you? But all she was, all she was doing was just laughing with her, (laughs) laughing with her friend who just happened to have short hair. Um, So it could have just been a classic Bender like Beckham moment. But I remember growing up just hearing stories of girls who you know uncles and aunties in the community decided that what they were up to were no good and so therefore their family were no good and you know this family would come to the mosque and just completely ignored and shunned from the community but there would be so many stories of you know whispers of what the men and the boys were up to but nothing no conclusion was ever drawn about the family and I and I really hate that (laughs) I really really struggle with that and I think there are all these systems that affect people in so many different ways depending on like all of the different identities that they hold in their one being and um and that's why it will forever be a joke that (laughs) brown girls are better than brown boys um and here we are at the end of an episode um the nuggets that I hope you take away from this is changing the expectations that we place on our loved ones to change um how we discuss um islam and islamophobia in a binary and how actually that just is very problematic and hinders proper good deep conversation about the issues at hand um how the patriarchy interacts with race and how you know activism that is centered in whiteness is not true activism and quite damaging and as highlighted by the archetype archetype sorry of intellectual um quote-unquote woke men Uh, Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns and catch you for the next one. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarves and Good Yarns or email us at headscarvesandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.